Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer, the podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer, the podcast, wherever you are listening to this show about coffee, or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 19 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. This is a special episode because it is the first with Jared Hales stepping in as a coffee smarter expert. He was a guest on this show talking about the Green Coffee Company he co-founded with several members of his family in Anaheim, California, called Hasea Coffee Source. Jared also teaches coffee education classes, and I thought his perspective as a buyer and a broker of green coffee would make him someone we could all learn from, and for some interesting coffee conversation. I wasn't wrong. For this first show, we're talking about green coffee for beginners. Throughout the conversation, we waffle a bit on whether we're discussing green coffee for at-home or commercial roasters, but most of the information works for both. I assume that anyone looking into buying green coffee already has more than a casual interest in the process of coffee roasting. Otherwise, why would you be buying? Jared points out that for most roasters, especially beginning or home roasters, part of the appeal is the process, the effort, the learning, everything needed to achieve the perfect roast. That is a challenge that seems to live on the horizon of attainability. If you haven't done it already, now would be a good time to make sure that your coffee mug is full. And if it already is, please take a moment to head to RoastWestCoast.com to sign up for this show's newsletter. If you do, you'll get this podcast, show recaps, coffee news, coffee education, and updates from our Roast partners sent to you in an email every single week. Here at Roast West Coast headquarters, I just hit the little tab handle on my hot water kettle, and I'm going to let myself watch the water boil while I'm hand grinding some coffee beans from Zumbar Coffee and Tea. It sounds almost as zen as I'm sure it will feel. While I'm doing that, please enjoy this Coffee Smarter conversation with Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee Source on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Make sure everything's good. Uh, Yeah, I'm doing good. I have been out of coffee for a few days trying to hold off on like going and buying stuff because I have stuff on order. Today I caved and I uh, opened up one of these single use uh, camping like coffees that I had. Like a bag or? Yeah, kind of like a tea. It's like the one where you pour over, but it's same concept. Gotcha. And I don't know if it's just because I've been away from it for a couple days or not, but it's not the worst coffee. You know, it's not... <laughs> I'm enjoying it. How about you? What are you drinking today? Anything? Today I'm drinking, um, it's a Pacamara natural from El Salvador, roasted by Lockwood Roasting down in, he's in San Diego, I think. What does Pacamara mean? 
Pacamara is a variety of Arabica. So, you know, just like Katura, Bourbon, these are all varieties of the, of the Arabica plant. So Pacamara is a pretty unique one. The beans are huge. They're like sometimes three times larger than some of the other Arabica varieties. And they roast weird and they look weird. And <laughs> they kind of taste does, weird too. Does that mean they have like three times more flavor or is it more <laughs> of like a, I'm just showing you the big size of my beans sort of situation? It's kind of just a big size thing. It's weird. <laughs> like, I mean, it obviously affects, you know, in like a pound of coffee, you have totally different bean count. And um, and then when you're roasting it, it's just so strange. It affects like the density measurements, you know. I was just totally distracted when you said that. So you roughly know how many beans are in a bag of coffee. No, I do not. <laughs> I've done say, that like... math before, but... Uh... I should do that. Like the jelly bean thing, you know, where uh-huh. guess how many uh, jelly right. beans are in a jar. I'd be curious to know. <laughs> Although I'm, I, that makes sense. It would change if it's a larger size bean. I mean, if we really wanted to, we could, we could do that math. <laughs> You're smarter than me. Cause you'd be like, well, let's just figure it out on paper. And I'd be like, well, let's start counting one, <laughs> two. Oh shoot. What, where was I? One. Right. Let's start over again. Right. Well, Jared, I appreciate you coming back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. As a coffee expert this time, uh, which I really appreciate, uh, to get a different perspective, uh, your role as a buyer and a broker and your experience is different from any of the other experts we've had on the show uh, who've only been on the kind of roasting shop buying side. The reason that I asked you to come back is because of that different experience and I really wanted to start kind of at the beginning and ask you about buying green coffee for someone who is a beginner, not necessarily a beginning buyer, but say a beginning roaster, you know, like either I'm right. getting interested in roasting coffee for myself and I'll kind of let you, you know, make the distinction between like an at-home consumer roaster versus say a, someone who's thinking about opening a, a cafe. Right. But in my head, I have not been to your warehouse in Anaheim, but or your, your shop in Anaheim, but I imagine it kind of like a Costco-style grocery store where I can walk around picking out beans. But I'll let you kind of describe that and um, kind of let us know where we start in that process and what we're kind of looking for in a green coffee bean as a beginner. Right. That's a, that's a good, big question, right? And at, at its very core, it's a lot like picking a roasted coffee bean. You know, there are so many different options, not, not only just roast profile, but like what variety do you buy? You know, do you buy that Pacamara or do you buy the Katura or do you buy the washed process or the natural process coffee? And so it really starts with kind of preference, honestly. And <laughs> Not to, not to make it as complicated as it could possibly be, but it is, you know, there's every combination. So when we, when we get to talk to, you know, fresh roasters, green roasters, it's kind of like a, if we have the opportunity, kind of a discussion, you know, our warehouse is definitely not like you just start picking stuff off the shelf. Definitely not everything, everything we like, bag it up and, you know, to basically to order. So, so, and that comes, if we have the opportunity to talk to someone in person, it comes from a lot of questions, you know, do you like these flavors? Do you like these flavors? So it's a lot of preference mixed with 
kind of matching that to what we have available. Now, when you're on our website, that's a little bit harder to do, right? Because that conversation isn't there. So that's kind of a challenge that we've had to figure out as we grow that the website business is how to effectively communicate what this coffee tastes like so that somebody can match that to their preference. You know what I mean? So for example, we do all the tasting notes on the coffee and we try to keep these fairly, I don't, fairly direct, you know, nothing too crazy um, as far as like descriptors. We try to stay within the SCA flavor wheel so that, you know, these are words that people are more familiar with. And so they can identify like, oh, I've tasted that before. I like that or I don't like that. And then on top of that, we've discussed adding like cupping videos, essentially just us taking a quick snapshot of the coffee. Uh, we use the, the SCA cupping form on all of our coffees. So we go through fragrance and aroma, flavor, aftertaste, acidity, body, balance, you know, all these things kind of create a snapshot of what the coffee might look like. And so kind of directly what you're, you're asking about, how do we communicate to somebody that they're going to like or not like this coffee? I think a video is, is the next best thing if you can't have a conversation with that person, right? Sure. But definitely the, the, the most diehard coffee roasters or home roasters, they will shoot us an email or give us a call before they check out. You know, they're like, they know what to ask and they know what they like. Those are, those are almost easier though, right? Because then you can just pair them up with the right coffee. Right. I'm thinking about the buyer, like the, let's just say it's a home roaster and you were talking about keeping things on the flavor wheel. So they have that uh, frame of reference. Right. But there is, I guess, I suppose an assumption that if somebody is at the point where they're buying green coffee, they're kind of into coffee. They understand what that is. They're not just someone who woke up one day and was like, you know what I'm going to do today? Roast coffee. Although I would imagine there are people that do do that and who really come to you just totally green to use a you know, pun on words there a little uh-huh. bit. But it, let's say that I am interested or I am looking online. Do you suggest or recommend people to start with small amounts of coffee as samples? Or do you see that process playing out, especially with the home roaster who's trying to figure out what they can and can't do? Because right. I'm thinking about it just as like, a like when I go and buy a bag of coffee from somebody local, like I just, this just happened to me. I bought a bag of coffee from Lofty that I had had there that I really liked. And I just could not replicate that at home with the setup that I have. With brewing, you mean? Right. With brewing. So I would imagine it's similar with, with green coffee where everybody's roasting education and skills and technique is going to be different. So you're kind of trying to give them this thing and give them like, Hey, here's like best case scenario. Right. But it's kind of on you to get there. That's true. That is true. But that's, especially in the home roasting world, I think part of the the attraction, you know, is like the process and the the learning, right? I mean, even even me, I'm always kind of surprised by certain things that I encounter in roasting, you know, where... I don't know, maybe the, maybe your roast graph, if you're, if you're using a data logger, doesn't look how you wanted it to or expected it to. And then you taste the coffee and it's really good. 
you know, or vice versa. Maybe, maybe you're like, yeah, I nailed it. And then you taste it and it's lacking, you know? I think that's just kind of the constant evolution of the of the coffee roaster and the coffee experience. So everybody has different machinery at home, right? And they're roasting. Some people are roasting on a modified barbecue. Some people are roasting on really nice, you know, well-built tabletop machines. Some people are roasting in air roasters like fluid bed basically really nice popcorn poppers that are made for coffee roasting, you know? So it's hard to say like a blanket statement on, on like roast the coffee this way, you know? And you'll see if you, if you did look on some of the coffees that we, that we list, we have some suggestions, but again, they're more like, like big picture, you know, roast this medium to medium light, you know, so that you can pull out these flavors. What that actually looks like on somebody's machine, I have no idea really without actually using it. But then still, there's so much room for preference in there. You know, maybe somebody likes those coffees darker or whatnot. And again, that's just more more to the point of like the more information that you have as a home roaster, the better you can kind of make those decisions on what coffees to pick up for your for your preferences you've made a point of like, should someone be sampling a lot? Absolutely. Right. But at the same time, I see a lot of people, they buy, they buy like one pound of 20 different coffees and any roaster would know that it takes you more than a couple of tries to really dial in a roast, especially like, even when you really know your machine, it takes some time and a couple of, you know, tweaks and tastes and tweak and taste. And so I think that, Roasters sometimes, home roasters sometimes make the mistake of buying too few pounds of coffee and they kind of never get it dialed in before they move on to the next one. So there's a balance of like getting to know that specific bean and and then maybe using um, the information that we is provided about like elevation, variety, density, moisture, and trying to create these trends in your memory of like, I like coffees that are like this, right? Which I don't know if you do this, but even with tasting, if you're just a taster, right? Do you keep a log of, of coffees that you try and how you like them or don't like them? Do you just have a uh, great memory? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a very good memory. I uh, know <laughs> I have no memory. I am someone who tries to keep a log of things. Uh, I'm not great. I usually peter out after, you know, I forget. I, like I'll end up writing notes about every third and mm. just me being me, like I'm more interested in, I'm more willing to take the coffee at face value wherever I go. And I'm more interested in, I end up, my notes are generally about the place itself. Cause I'm more mm-hmm. like coming from that side. I used to be the person creating the atmosphere. That's right. the part that I get really jazzed about. Like I know that I'm not roasting coffee. I'm just more about enjoying it and appreciating it. But I, I do see that. I see that especially uh, when I stop into like a roast day somewhere, say at Coffee Cycle or wherever. And every time like they have a roast come out, there's like this moment where everyone sits down and they're like writing notes in their little notepad. And if you look at mm-hmm. it, it looks like something you picked up in the bunker on Lost. Uh, I don't really understand what any of it means. But, you know, they seem to know what it means. And I think that's right. <laughs> that's the important part. 
when somebody is holding, or let's say you take a scoop of, of green beans in your hand, we're talking about you're providing them with a bunch of information. They might be looking at it online or seeing a video of a tasting or doing a cupping. But when you're looking at that, those physical beans, can you see defects of a sort in there? Do you, as a, as that middle person, do you have to sort stuff out? Right. I know a lot of roasters who have distoners. And so there's still things that are going to come through where a stone might get thrown in with a bag of beans, um, which yes. could really mess up your grinder. So you don't want that. But if you were to take a scoop of green beans, can you look at them and be like, oh, you know what? That bean's not great. Or is it more of a a batch system? In a, in a very broad sense, somewhat. <laughs> but I've, I've been fortunate. I've been scooping beans for home roasters for like eight years, you know? So I have, I don't even know, but maybe have scooped a thousand different coffees, right? And and have seen, so have like handled that green product on all these coffees that I'm also tasting on the regular. And so there's definitely some like indicators of good and less than good coffee. You know, defects are the most obvious one. You can see physical defects like insect damage. There are beans that we call like full sour or full black, where basically they got over-fermented. Have you ever eaten a handful of peanuts and there was like a black peanut in there that somehow missed the quality check? Yeah, you absolutely. Know, it's kind of like that, where it's just, ugh, they are pretty gnarly to, to accidentally consume. So you can see these obvious ones, you know, but beyond that, like to use specialty coffee terms, an 88 point coffee doesn't look that much different than an 85 point coffee, meaning like a really good coffee doesn't look that much different than the best coffee in the world as like physically. So you can't really take it all at face value, but at the same time, we do, we do have a physical grading on every coffee that we bring in. You know, and mostly it's just to check the coffee against the contract terms. There's a lot of a lot of like grading systems internationally for exporting and importing the coffee. There's no real, uh, I guess, system of arbitration for like specialty coffee, right? Like specialty coffee, as much as we love it, it doesn't really mean that much. It's kind of like, is this coffee that people prefer to drink? But it's hard to quantify that in like a contract, you know, so a lot of contracts will be, you know, we have obviously tasted the coffee several times and approved all the samples and everything, but the contract comes down to, okay, this coffee cannot have more or less of these defects. And so when we get the coffee, we, we check all the physical aspects to make sure that we're all in spec and it, it always is really, but that happens in the, um, the milling and the preparation and the sorting rather than anything that we do. It would be really difficult to do that here. Uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the process of the green coffee being transported and then you potentially checking it for defects, which obviously you're not going to check every bean in a, in a cargo you know, box right. for perfection or against the contract, you're essentially pulling samples. I, I think I understand this right. So correct me if I'm wrong. When that cargo box, uh, that 42,000 roughly pounds, I think is the number 
of coffee, leaves a port somewhere, leaves a farm, gets on a ship, and is on the water floating. If something happens to that green coffee between there and you, say moisture, water damage, mm-hmm. insect, something, who mm-hmm. is responsible in that that window? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> really? Yeah, so you're on the hook no matter what. Yeah, most of the contracts are under terms, what we call FOB, which is free on board. So the the exporter is responsible for it all the way up until it's on the boat. And then once it's on the boat, the importer is responsible for it. So, you know, obviously you have insurance. I've never seen personally anything really bad happen in transit, thankfully. I have had coffee show up different from what I approved, but it didn't happen in transit. It happened somewhere in the milling and the sorting. But yeah, I mean, we use we use Grain Pro liners, which are like a food grade plastic liner inside of the burlap sack to protect against moisture. And it really does a lot, honestly. There are even other solutions like you can line the entire container with this plastic barrier, you know, for further protection. I haven't tried those just because the bags are already in or each sack is already in a liner. But there are definitely solutions out there to try to minimize that risk. You already answered my question, which is kind of a weird bummer, but I was going to ask if any of your ships had ever been attacked by pirates. (laughs) But instead, I'll I'll kind of close this uh, this coffee smarter session out with, if I am the buyer, if I am that that person coming to you, what sort of questions should I be asking you as the person selling this green coffee to me, to ensure that one we are starting our relationship out right, but two that like, let's say someone's not going to you, they're going to go to another broker, they're based out of Portland or Wisconsin or mm-hmm. wherever, um, what should they be asking their local uh, green coffee seller? to kind of make sure that they're on board or that they're getting a good product? For me, it, it's really about the flavor profile. You know, if it's in a commercial setting, you have the price aspect, but I, I'm not sure that's what you're asking here. But as far as looking for the right bean for your menu, it comes down to, to flavor, right? Making sure that whatever your intention is with that coffee, whether it's just to enjoy it or to sell it, it's, what you're actually looking for because most roasters they have a range of coffees on their menu right why really it's to hit different preferences you know you have different roast levels you have different types of coffee i can't think of any roasters off the top of my head that feature less than three coffees at a time you know so being able to communicate that way and then ultimately at at any level, you still have to taste the coffee and confirm that it's the right fit for you. You know, especially if you're a commercial roaster and looking to resell this coffee, you have to taste it. You have to get a sample. I'm pretty fortunate where I, I get to a level with a lot of our clients where I can make recommendations kind of blindly for them. I'm saying that like they've never tasted the coffee, they'll still order it. Those are kind of the most fun, but also the most scary because you're you're waiting for the coffee to show up and for them to say, you know, I, I like it. So I'm like calling them every week. Did you try that yet? Did you try that yet? But yeah, we get to that level of, of trust where I know, I know their preference and they can count on me to, to fulfill it. But that takes a lot of what I'm talking about. It takes a lot of like 
hey, I'm looking for this. Okay, I have these options. Let me send them to you. You need to taste them. You need to give me feedback. And we create kind of that that um, rapport or that that language back and forth. I thought of one more question while you were talking, which is, and this is kind of more specifically for a consumer level roaster. If I were to say buy five pounds of coffee from you, obviously I can't, I'm not going to go through five pounds of coffee in a, a day or a week, maybe even mm-hmm. in a short time. Um, the way I would, if I were a roaster, like a commercial roaster testing and selling and, and that sort of thing. Once I, when you sell that green coffee, kind of what is the lifespan of a, of that green coffee? How long does it last before it's really kind of not in that window? I know like if you buy roasted beans, obviously there's a specific kind of flavor window right. that they hit for brewed or espresso and so on. But how, well, how is that different for green coffee? It's a great question. Like, could I throw it in a cabinet for, you know, a week or a month or a year? Yeah, great, great question. As as you probably know, and probably a lot of your listeners know, most most places that grow coffee in the world, they only get one harvest. So you only have one chance to pick the coffee, process the coffee, dry the coffee, ship it, right? So let's say you really love that coffee from Mexico, you know, it, it's, it happened one time. It only happened one time in a year and you got to wait next year. So uh, what we consider to be old green coffee is any coffee that's left over uh, by the next harvest cycle. So usually we use this term past crop. So that coffee becomes past crop when the new crop is now available, right? This doesn't actually mean that the coffee spoils or goes bad or anything like that. So what I've noticed is a nicely processed coffee, you know, dried correctly and and handled properly, shipped in these grain pro liners, stored. California is actually pretty nice for coffee storage, right? It's pretty, pretty mild temperatures here and mild humidity. So if it's stored well, it has all these factors in its favor. It can last easily six months to a year, no problem. I've seen coffees last three years and taste great. I've seen coffees last three months. So really, it really comes down to how they're handled. But for the most part, in general, I would say after six months, you start to notice the coffee kind of falling off. Like I say falling off, I mean lacking some of the pop that it maybe had when it first got there. And really you can only notice it because I've been tasting it for months, you know? So for me, sometimes when we're offering coffees, when they're like 10 months old, I'm starting to notice that the coffee is losing a lot of its pop it starts to get, you know, we describe it as aged and that kind of tastes almost papery or in the worst case, like baggy, like burlap kind of flavor, you know, not a pleasant taste. So maybe I'm, I'm getting hints of these flavors, but when I'm with clients, they're like, oh, these coffees are great. You know, and I'm realizing that I'm only noticing this change because I've been tasting it for, you know, once a week for the last 30 weeks or whatever. So it really comes down to the specific coffee and how it'll age. If it's stored well, it should last six months to a year, no problem. And you must drink so much coffee if you are sampling coffees like on a regular basis. Like honestly, <laughs> I would 
I feel like you should start wearing like a heart monitor or something just to see <laughs> uh, how it's impacting you. <laughs> I honestly try not to drink it coffee that much to like that might be a sin here but uh i have to definitely regulate <laughs> i spit it out and you know gotta be careful Ooh, that's gonna lead me down a whole nother path so i'm gonna cut that <laughs> off not the spitting out but just like it's like same with food like and this is something i think about like if i let's say like i take a peanut butter cup and i chew on it but then i spit it out am i still eating a peanut butter cup like Am I still responsible for those calories? It could be the same with (laughs) coffee and caffeine, right? I like it. Am I responsible for that caffeine? (laughs) Do I have to put that down in my little food diary? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Jared, I really appreciate you spending some time with us, and I hope you'll spend some more time with us as a coffee expert. I think there's just a a really unique perspective that you have, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Ryan. To recap, visually, there's not much difference between good green coffee and what will turn out to be great green coffee. You can't stare at a handful of green beans and know that they will turn out to be an 80 or 90 point coffee merely through the act of looking. Those changes will only be made known through the roasting process and discovered during cuppings at the tasting table and through roasting and brewing that same coffee time and time again to ensure that you've found the sweet spot. It is important to take that time to dial in the roast of green coffee, and realistically, you'll need more than one small sample. Jared noted that the best results came when roasters would work out the kinks on a single coffee instead of trying to hit a home run on the very first try on a bunch of different coffees. Tweak and taste, tweak and taste. It should also be noted that as of this podcast, none of Hasea's coffee shipments have ever been attacked by pirates while crossing the waterways to America. Jared and I also covered the lifespan of green coffee, which gave us a new coffee vocab term, past crop. A crop becomes old or past crop when a new crop of coffee beans, which turn over once annually, becomes available. That gives a green coffee bean roughly a one-year lifespan. But storage is the key. A bag of green coffee beans in a sealed grain pro bag in a climate-controlled room, will retain its pop, its essence, longer than beans stored in a burlap sack left on the floor in the back of a warehouse where the sun might shine directly onto it through a skylight some afternoons and rain leaks in on the others. Generally speaking, after about six months, green coffee may start to fade a little bit. But that doesn't mean the coffee has gone bad. It just isn't at the peak of its potential. And realistically, it may only be noticeable if you've been tasting that particular batch periodically. Again, how it is being stored matters, and that is a great question for you to ask if you're buying green coffee from a new-to-you green coffee broker, like Hasea Coffee Source. So, I don't know about you, but I think that was a pretty successful Coffee Smarter session. Thanks to Jared for coming back on the show. I've already booked him for one more episode, where we are going to dig into the extraction of coffee flavor. So get excited about that. If you want to learn more about green coffee, more about Jared, or what Hosea Coffee Source can do for an aspiring or established coffee roaster, head to HoseaCoffee.com or follow their Instagram, at Hosea Coffee. Jared regularly offers coffee education classes that are pretty comprehensive. You can see the upcoming class schedule on their website, 
and of course I'll link to it in this show's notes and again on RoastWestCoast.com. Because if I don't ask you at least twice per podcast to go to the website, I mean, what am I even doing here? Next week is the final week of Season 4. It came really fast. I was actually surprised when I looked at the calendar, and I'm the one creating this show. In addition to that Coffee Smarter Extraction episode, I'll bring you an interview with Kevin Shin and Jason Walker of North County Roastery, which can be found at the Finn Hotel in Oceanside, California. As we close out today, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting your local coffee roasters, your favorite local coffee shops, and for tipping your baristas. I made up some Tip Your Barista stickers, which are for sale online, and for everyone that sells, I'll be tipping a barista. Thanks for helping me put some money into the pockets of workers who have always been essential. Also, big thanks and a shout-out to this show's industry partners, including Mostra Coffee Company. Mostra's Director of Coffee, Ryan Sullivan, is competing in the United States Cup Tasters Championships this week, where he'll be tested on his ability to taste, smell, concentrate, and recall variations in coffee. It's a big deal, and we're wishing him the best of luck. As we are to Mostra's head coffee roaster, Nick Berardi, who will be competing in the United States Roaster Championship, where competitors grade coffee, make roast plans, and then literally roast coffee on site. It's a very cool experience, and I'm looking forward to hearing how they do. Thank you to Café La Terre, Leap Coffee, Marea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, First Light Whiskey, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, and Ignite Coffee Company. That Zumbar coffee I was brewing at the top was a hummingbird blend, which is a staple in this household, and I brewed it in the French press. It was quite comforting. Links to all of those great roasters are right there on the front page of this show's newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. That's three times. And if you have a question you want answered on a future episode of Coffee Smarter, hit me up on Instagram at roastwestcoast. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.